Good morning, ladies. It is so good to see you. I missed being with you last week, but listen to Dana's message. She did a tremendous job. And, you know, we moved from the doctrinal portion of Colossians into the relational, let's flesh this out portion of Colossians. And we're going to finish up Colossians together today at the end of chapter 4, looking at verses 7 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, open to Colossians chapter 4. And let's look at some of the band of brothers as we study this week, the people that are working alongside Paul, that are encouraging him, that are co-laborers in the gospel. Verse 7, as to all my affairs, to Tychicus, to Kikus, to Chickus, <laughs> all my life I've called him Tychicus. And I found out this week I've been pronouncing his name wrong all this time, Tychicus. Our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. So he's going to be the one who carries the letter to them and give them information. For I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So he's going to report what's going on with Paul, what's happening in Rome. He's writing from prison, but he's also going to be an encouragement to them. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Now, what we realize here, because he's talking about Onesimus, what did we learn about Onesimus? He's an escaped slave, right? And he's sending him back where he came from to his master, which we'll be looking at next week when we look at the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon. But Onesimus, because we know from chapter 3, there's now no distinction in Christ. We're all equal. Onesimus is just as much a brother as any of the other fellow servants with Paul. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. We don't know if Aristarchus was actually imprisoned or if he had chosen to be imprisoned along with Paul to be there to assist him and to encourage him. Also, Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. What do we know about Mark? He had abandoned them on the first missionary journey, but evidently he had repented and come back, and Paul had welcomed him back in, and he is commending him to the people there. And also Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, who are Jews, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Isn't that a beautiful focus for prayer? And Epaphras, we believe, was probably the founder of the church in Colossae. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, he's going to conclude the letter himself with his own hand, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. 
So we see we have two men who are going to be delivering the letter, and they're not just delivering the letter. They're coming back with encouragement and instruction from Paul because they've been co-laborers with him. And then he gives greetings from Rome. And we notice he mentioned three men who were Jews and three men who were Gentiles. What do we know about Mark? Now, I want us to pause just a moment because we're going to be moving into relationships and how important our closest relationships are to our growth and spiritual maturity. Now, Mark had abandoned them on their first missionary journey. So we know that Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. Now, you kind of hate that, don't you? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, so we know he used both of them as they divided and continued their missionary journey of sharing the gospel and planting churches. But at some point, evidently, Mark must have repented, and Paul had embraced him and welcomed him back in. But we have to wonder what would have happened to Mark if there had not been a Barnabas. If there had not been somebody there to wrap his arm around him and say, I'll take you with me to continue to disciple him and encourage him in his growth and development in Christ. So now he has become effective in ministry and is back alongside Paul serving with him. And of course, you've got to love Luke. Don't you not just love Luke? I love the gospel of Luke. I love the things that he recorded about Christ. The book of Acts, you've got volume one and volume two of what Luke has written. And the fact that he traveled with Paul so much in the book of Acts, you see how many times he says we, he experienced these things along with Paul. And then he's going to greet some of the people who are actually at Colossae. Nympha, and we found out this week there's some disagreement on whether or not it's a a male or a female. But um, the NASB, the New American Standard, which is a pretty close literal translation to the Greek, calls her a her and the church that's in her house. And then Archippus, what do we, he has some instruction for Archippus. What did he say? Stir up the gift, see to that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. It made me think about Ephesians 2.10, which says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand for those who walk with him. So what do we know that God has done for us if he's called us as believers? We belong to him. He has works for us to do, to be involved in, that he created beforehand. It's part of his sovereign plan, and we can get in on what God is doing. But he has specific works for us to do, which will be They'll they'll correlate to the gifts that he's given us. When you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit who comes to live within your life. And the Bible's very clear that God gifts us according to his will and places us in the body of Christ. Now, he allows the body to have the various gifts we need to more accurately represent Christ and fulfill the work, the ministry to which God has called us. So one of the ways that you stir up the gift that God has given you is to use it, (laughs) is to not let it grow cold. And in fact, stir up literally means it's like the kindling of a fire. You know what a bellows is? Those things that you kind of get the, the air going to stir the fire back up when it starts to die down. That's the picture we have here. Stir up the gift. Keep the fire kindled and burning. Keep your passion for Christ alive as you're serving him as you serve the church. Now, I have included a quote that a lot of us have heard. Um, It's from Jim Rohn, a very famous business philosopher who is a prolific author, but this is one of the quotes he's most famous for. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Now, think about that just a moment for yourself. But if you have children at home, think about that for your children as well. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. 
Now, as parents, you have the greatest influence on your children, and you need to make sure that you're training them in the ways of the Lord, that you're diligently teaching them the Word of God, and not only that, that you're living it out, because passion is caught more than it's taught. And I spoke last week at Southwestern in a breakout session on passing on a faith that sticks and how we can do that. And of course, I included that LifeWay study that talked about the things parents did whose adult children are still walking with the Lord, active in church, and pursuing Christ. And reading the Bible was number one, prayer, service, the obvious things that are included in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so I just like to say, you just Deuteronomy 6 them. You do the things that God has called us to do. You do those things that God has commanded us to do in Scripture so that they are equipped in the ways of the Lord. They know God's word and his word literally becomes a part of who they are. And I shared with them that passion is caught more than it's taught. And I've shared with y'all before the first time that it hit me how crucial that was. Grant was probably in kindergarten. And I'd been praying for a long time, Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God, begging God to make that a reality in my life. I wanted to know him. I wanted more than the status quo. I wanted to walk and talk with him like the people in the book of Acts. And suddenly after months, I realized I could not put my Bible down. It was like the words were jumping off the page. I was seeing things I'd never seen before, making connections. I'd committed to read through the Bible. And I just, I was so excited almost every morning. It seemed like God was speaking to me. And I would lay my Bible down. Allie, who's actually here this morning, was a baby at the time. And I would sit down to nurse her and I'd pick my Bible up. And I was just, I just couldn't wait. And one particular morning, I was so excited and I wanted to call my friend Debbie. As soon as I got grand off to kindergarten and kind of got everybody settled, I knew I wanted to call Debbie and share with her what the Lord had revealed to me that morning. And you know, it's awesome because when God starts speaking to you, you do want to tell somebody. It's exciting. It's life-giving. And I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait to call Debbie. And the Lord saying, tell Grant. And me thinking, he's in kindergarten. Like, how do I explain it? It's just going to go right over his head. There's no way he's going to get that. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said he doesn't have to understand it. He needs to see your passion. He needs to see how excited you are that God is speaking to you through his word. Because we know his word is inspired, which means it's God breathed and it's still breathing. And when the spirit of God in his word connects with the spirit of God who dwells within us, there is revelation. Whoa, those light bulb moments when we see things we've not seen before and then you can't not see it. You think, how have I missed this? Like it is so obvious, this truth that now has just jumped off the page and into my heart. So we need to think about the people that we spend the most time with. The people Paul is describing are all co-laborers in the faith. And that's really how once I became a, a believer and a pastor's wife and started really seeking to grow in Christ, I found that my closest friends became the people I'm doing ministry with, the people I'm doing Bible study with, the people I'm actually living life with or discipling. As I get into a discipleship relationship with people, I want to spend time with them and they're impacting me. So I started seeking out people who were further along in their Christian life than I was and I wanted to spend time with them and I wanted to pray with them because I learned to pray by hearing other people pray. I learned to study the Word Word and learned how to cross-reference and learned how to use commentaries. I took a couple of classes at seminary with Steve, and I would access his commentaries, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and now we have Bible software that you can get on your computer and just have access to all kinds of commentaries and resources and Greek and Hebrew studies on individual words. We have so many tools and resources at our fingertips to be able to grow, but you are challenged. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. We should be sharpening each other. And so I want to encourage you that your closest friends should be those who are spurring you on in the faith. 
those who are challenging you and encouraging you, and sometimes, yes, even calling you out. <laughs> when you're getting a little too um, proud or you're indulging in a self-pity moment, <laughs> focusing on yourself, we need somebody like a Paul who will call us out and hold us to a higher standard, a standard that is worthy of Christ. Because that's exactly what he wrote in the first of, Col of Colossians chapter 1, that we're to walk in a manner worthy of him, to please him in all respects. Dana mentioned some things from the book Rare Leadership last week, and I've got a quote on your handout about what a healthy group identity is. It's characterized by joy. People like belonging to the group. Team members look forward to being together. Members know that no matter what problems arise, the group will face them together. Individuals aren't going to be left alone in their distress. In fact, groups with a healthy identity shine brightest in times of trouble. There is never any question that they are in this together and no one is going to be left behind. When I read this, I thought this is what we're wanting for Bellevue Women. This is what we're wanting to create with your small groups, with us together, that we will come together and we will love each other and pray for each other and we'll be there for each other. And of course, I thought about our precious Jean. You guys have been so wonderful to pray for her, to text her, to send her cards, to provide meals for her. What does she know? She is not in this alone. She is not in this alone. All of us are with her. All of us are diligently lifting her before the throne. She is covered in the prayers of those who love her and are co-laborers with her in teaching the word, proclaiming the gospel, and ministering to our society and seeking to be Christ to those that we're around. So that's why we need a group identity. And that's part of what helps us grow spiritually and to mature and to be transformed from the inside out is knowing who we are in Christ. And we learn that identity in Christ from his word, but we also learn it from those that we associate with, serve with, and study God's word with. Colossians 3 has taught us who we are. We're not those who live in immorality or impurity, but those who are chosen of God and holy, right? So if you look back at Colossians 3, those things that we took off, the fleshly things that we took off, it's amazing how they kind of parallel the things that we're to put on, which we know are the very character of Christ. And so I, I put that down, I thought, okay, if we're not in immorality and purity, but instead we're chosen and holy, then I looked at the other things that listed. We're to take off passion, and what do we put on? Compassion. We take off evil desire, and what do we put on? Kindness. We take off greed, and what do we put on humility? What is greed? It's all about me, right? <laughs> I want more, more, more. I want what you have. I'm greedy. That becomes what the Bible says is idolatry. So why would I pair that with humility? Because what's the definition of humility? It's not to think poorly of oneself, but not to think of oneself at all. So a truly humble person will not be greedy. So we're, we're going to be those who walk in humility. And then you look at those other, that other list that really sins of the tongue, which we know are the heart. It's the heart being exposed. What does it say? Take off anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. What are the other things we're to put on? Gentleness, patience, forgiveness. What is going to combat anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech? Gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Forgiving just as we have been forgiven. And love. And what does it say love is? The perfect bond of unity. What do these other things do? They divide. They're divisive. They separate. They cause tension in relationships. What does love do? It binds us together in unity. 
We are one in Christ. And Jesus himself said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So I want you to ask yourself, is that how I'm known? Am I known for my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Would people who read and look at my posts on social media say that it's obvious I'm a follower of Christ and that my love for my brothers and sisters is evident? If it's not, we are not accurately reflecting Christ because Jesus said, you'll know, they will know, you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Rare leadership, in the book, they define it this way, that rare leaders have four uncommon habits related to emotional intelligence. Did you know you have emotional intelligence and then you have your IQ, you have an EQ and an IQ? Did you know that? <laughs> and what they have found, those who studied leadership and actually relationships, find that your emotional intelligence is more important than your IQ. Because your emotional intelligence determines how you interact with others. That's your relationship IQ, okay? So Paul wrote that we are complete in Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Christ lives in us because we've been united with him in his death and resurrection. So it makes sense that the qualities of Christ have been born in us through the Holy Spirit. They're present but dormant and ready to be seen and called out. So the beauty is the old life that we're taking off in a way with, that's the fleshly stuff we just looked at. That's the stuff that damages relationships. Paul had put those things off. He held his co-laborers to a high standard, but it was a standard that reflected Christ. And they loved one another and they served alongside each other and they were there for each other. That's what we're called to be as well. So we're to put on the character of Christ. Those things are in us. Because you may think, oh, you look at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you think, man, I'm deficient in so many areas, Lord, help. And he is more than willing to help us. I love Amy Carmichael. She was always the one who said in her writings, it's, you know, Lord, I come to the end of my love. I come to the end of my pace, peace and to the end of my patience, but I will never come to the end of his. So when I sense I'm coming to the end of mine, what do I do? Holy Spirit, take over. Spirit of the living God, your love. Spirit of the living God, your peace. Spirit of the living God, your patience. Help me, Father. Take over, fill me, and let the literal character of Christ be manifest in my life. Now, you've got a little fun activity this week that I'm pretty excited about. You have a spiritual maturity assessment tool that came out of the book Rare Leadership. They make this available to download and to be able to Assess yourselves. So we're going to kind of walk through the various levels that they have designated on this assessment. That's in addition to your homework for this week, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to read through this this next week, think through, pray through, and ask the Lord to show you where you are honestly on your spiritual maturity scale and then what you need to do to be mature, complete in Christ. Once again, we have everything we need dwelling within us through the Holy Spirit. We have the literal character of Christ, the mind of Christ. It's a matter of dying to the flesh so that the character of Christ is manifest in our lives. Now, we're going to begin with the infant stage. And there are scriptures because Paul talks a lot about maturity in Christ and being childish or acting like an infant. So here's a passage from 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, 
blessed him in the flesh. As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you're still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? So what is he telling us? Don't act like an infant. <laughs> I should be able to be giving you meat, but I'm having to give you milk because you're not growing up. You're living in the flesh. Those old things you were supposed to take off, the strife, the jealousy, that is not to be a part of you. So you are to be walking in the character of Christ, which is the fullness or maturity that we've been given because we're in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a definition from Rare Leadership. They said, infants don't know how to take care of themselves. But they're really good at letting you know they're upset. <laughs> they whimper and whine and wail in all sorts of ways in all types of circumstances. It's up to you to figure out what's wrong and take care of it. We expect this behavior from babies. But it's the same way with grown-ups who are stuck at infant-level maturity. You can be in your 70s and still have the emotional capacity and relational skills of an infant. Ouch. <laughs> This past weekend, I've had just an incredibly wonderful weekend. My daughter, Bethany, we celebrated her birthday Saturday, and a few weeks ago, she found out that Paige Brown, who I've recommended some of her teachings to you in the past, was going to be in Memphis doing a women's conference Friday night and Saturday. She said, Mom, for my birthday, I would love to go to this conference. So I got excited about it, and so got online, ordered tickets, called Lindsay. Allie, we knew Allie was already coming in. Would you like to go? Absolutely. Called Lindsay in Athens and said, hey, I will fly you to Memphis if you want to go to this conference. Absolutely. So she flew in on Thursday back home Saturday afternoon, called Melissa right after I talked to Lindsay. Melissa, we're going to the Page Brown Conference. We would love for you to join us, my daughter-in-law in Murfreesboro. Absolutely. And I remember this is a woman with five children and three foster kids. <laughs> I said, just the four hours in the car by herself were probably worth the trip. <laughs> Quiet. She could think. She could listen to whatever she wanted to, talk on the phone, you know. Um, and so she was excited about coming and drove in on Friday, back home Saturday. But at the conference, my mom went, both of my sisters were in town. We had four generations because Bethany had Ann Michael with her at this women's conference, and it was absolutely incredible. But I looked down that pew and just almost started weeping because I have received a rich spiritual inheritance from my parents. I am blessed and able to pass that on to my daughters. And the fact that my daughter wanted that for her birthday, how incredible is that? She didn't want clothes. She wanted to go to a, a conference and, and hear a woman who's an incredible Bible teacher. And we were so blessed. Y'all, she talks faster than I do. <laughs> she really does. In fact, I told my mom, Mom, get ready. She talks really fast. Um, and you're, we're taking notes just furiously. And then we got back home and we'd kind of go back through our notes and kind of talk about it and process um, to be able to kind of grasp all of it. But I, I thought, you know, we had everything, every, had every spiritual maturity level present this weekend because we have Ann Michael, who's seven months old, all the way up to my mom, and I won't divulge her age. And everything, so we have everything in between. And it was funny because I look at Ann Michael and she, she is really one of the easiest babies. She's so pleasant and easy to be around. But if she's upset, she's hungry, she's tired, she's going to cry. And as her caregivers, what are we supposed to do? Figure out what's wrong, right? We're supposed to hop to and figure out, is she hungry? Is she wet? Is she tired? What's going on? And we meet that need because that's what infants do. But how sad is it when it's a 40-year-old or a 60-year-old or a 70-year-old who just thinks about themselves? Because that's the definition of an infant. 
They can only think about themselves and their needs being met, and they're going to make you miserable until that need is met. And that's okay for an actual infant. It is not okay for an adult. Okay, what about a child? 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Children have the ability to tell you what is wrong. So now they've grown beyond being an infant. They can actually verbalize what's going on. What they lack is the ability to take care of you and themselves at the same time. So they usually default to taking care of themselves, whether you get taken care of or not. (laughs) So children understand they can verbalize what their needs are, but they're still very much focused on themselves. Listen to this. People stuck in the child phase of emotional maturity are prone to addictions and harmful habits. Why? Because they have these needs, and they're so focused on themselves. And if somebody else is not going to meet that need, they will find something that will. will either meet it or numb it. The problem is addictions don't meet it. They put us in bondage. We end up being enslaved to them. Steve is teaching through Craig Rochelle's book, Winning the War in Your Mind, uh, to the men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. And here's a great quote from Craig Rochelle. Don't be discouraged. So if you're seeing yourself as, yeah, I see some childish traits in my life, don't be discouraged. (laughs) Don't give up. The gravitational pull toward your old negative thoughts will likely be stronger than you can imagine. Resist those lies. Keep renewing your mind with God's truth. And listen to this. It will become true of you. It will become true of you. What have we learned about neuroplasticity? When we take those wrong thoughts captive, those single sinful thoughts captive, and replace them with the truth of God. So the more you're in the Word of God, the more you're thinking on the Word of God, meditating on it, studying it, it replaces the lies. It even exposes the lies so that we see them, we, we refuse them, we replace them with the truth of God's Word. And the more we repeat that truth, it eventually becomes true of us. We begin to act on the truth instead of on the lie. Children don't have self-control. Now, you think about a child. They want one more snack, one more dessert, one more treat. And if you let them, what would they do? They would graze on junk all day long. They would never sit down and eat a meal. They would just eat junk. In fact, uh, the last time Allie was here, I had a crew of my grands here, and they got quiet. That is never good (laughs) when you have little people and they get quiet. So we went looking for them. And guess what? I have this bowl of candy that I leave on my coffee table when adults are around. And if I do discipleship, I've told them, I said, I'm not going to cook for you except maybe every once in a while because I don't want you to have that pressure thinking you have to do that if you open your home for discipleship. But I will provide coffee, water, and chocolate. So I have a candy bowl on the coffee table. But when the grands come, I put it up. Why do I put it up? Because they have no self-control. They will eat every piece in the bowl. At one, in one time. <laughs> and that's what they were doing. I had hid it. I've got a cabinet in the corner of that room, and I'd hid it in a drawer. They had found it, and they were over there just cramming that candy. <laughs> Rappers were everywhere. Of course, you couldn't help but laugh. Why? They're children. I mean, most, most of them are preschoolers. Um, they, had, they don't have the self-control that you expect of someone that is more mature than they are. Okay, what about as an, an adult? <laughs> Somebody's relating. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13 says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I, know, I will know fully just as I had been fully known. 
But now faith, hope, love, abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So as we become mature, we will grow in love, our love for the Lord and our love for our fellow man. And it will be evident in the way we treat others. That's what happens when you become an adult. And here's what they say in rare leadership. Adults know how to keep relationships bigger than the problems. And Dana mentioned this last week, but if you didn't get that, write it down, highlight it, underline it. Keep the relationship bigger than the problem. Think about family relationships. When there's tension in a family, what does the enemy want to do? He comes in to separate. He comes in to divide. That's what he does to divide, to conquer. So we have to refuse the division, and instead we go to the person and say, your relationship is more important to me than this issue. But because I love you, I want us to deal with the issue so that our relationship can be right, so there's nothing separating us. So that's elevating the relationship above the issue. We have a tendency to flip that and allow the issue to become bigger than the relationship. And when that happens, there's explosive anger and things are said that should not be said and people are separated. That's the trap of the evil one. People who are mature see that for what it is and they're going to elevate the relationship and always keep it bigger than the problem. They act like themselves in a group, which means they're going to be themselves regardless of the group they're in. They're not as easily pushed by peer pressure or they don't succumb to the pressure of the group of the people they're around. They take care of the needs of two people at the same time, not just themselves. They can serve somebody else. They've been practicing returning to joy from upset emotions for a while. And our joy meter really tells us how we're walking with Christ. Because what does 1 Thessalonians 5 tell us? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. So we know if we're not rejoicing, we're quenching the Spirit. If we're not giving thanks in all things, we're quenching the Spirit. And praying without ceasing, we're quenching the Spirit. So if we're quenching the Spirit, the Spirit's not going to be manifest in my life. My flesh is, and I don't want my flesh in control of my life. So I've got to return to that joy and that peace Allow the peace of Christ to rule my heart, which we looked at in Colossians as well. Um, Because of these skills, the adult is emotionally stable and relationally sophisticated enough to stay relational in the face of difficulty. You will rarely, if ever, listen to this, see an adult turn to addictive behavior to cope with their stress. That is a childish response to stress. Paige Brown this past weekend said, the nature of joy is to overflow. And what do we know about what God has given us? Our cup overflows. (laughs) There are rivers of living water that will flow forth from our innermost being. Okay, you move from being an adult then to being a parent, and that's biologically or spiritually. We are to disciple. We are to birth children, be fruitful and multiply biologically and spiritually. Those with parent-level maturity are able to model and teach the skills needed to thrive in life to the next generation. This is what Paul said was missing from the Corinthian church. They didn't have anyone with parent-level spiritual or emotional emotional maturity. Um, And when you think about that, what he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 was, 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking to them about all the spiritual gifts and how they're to operate within the church. And there was disruption, and people were saying, my gift is better than your gift. And so there was division in the body, and people were trying to elevate themselves. Makes you think of the disciples, does it not? Fighting over who's going to be first in the kingdom. And what does Jesus do? He dons the clothing of the servant, and he begins to wash their filthy feet, showing them that he came to serve not to be served. And that's what we will do 
as his followers that we will serve. And he goes from that, telling them how they're to behave and how they're gifted into what that's going to look like in 1 Corinthians 13, which we know is the love chapter. What is going to depict those who are mature in faith and are operating the gifts God has given them for the edification is never for us. Our gift is not for us. Our gift is for the edification of the body, for the building up of others, for the bringing others to Christ. That's why we're gifted. It's to point others to Jesus. And so we are to do that if we are in the parent phase. And he was addressing the Corinthians and telling them, you need to mature. You need to grow. Kindle the the gift that's been given to you, but use it to bless the church. Parents sacrifice for their children all the time. They meet their needs first. It's like when you're on an airplane and the oxygen thing drops. What do they tell you to do? You put yours on first so that you take care of them because you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to be walking with Christ so that you can take care of your, your children. But you're going to sacrifice your needs at times, your sleep, <laughs> food, whatever it may be, to make sure your children have what they need and you're going to be careful to take care of their well-being. But you've got to be walking with Christ and feeding your spirit if you're going to have anything to give them. You've got to feed them spiritually as well as physically. And discipleship is spiritual parenting. It requires patience and perseverance. It also requires flexibility. When you're discipling, when you're parenting, children have a way of disrupting your schedule, do they not? Your sleep, asking question after question after question. And the Lord is so kind and gracious to us. He never tells us that's one question too many. He is always there for us, and he never gives up on us. That's what he's calling us to. And then we have the elders, and he's not talking about elder in the church. He's talking about elder in maturity. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. A maturity that leads to the fullness of Christ being evident in our lives. Out of rare leadership, they said, when parents have finished raising their own children, they're ready to take on the needs of the community. They begin to notice people in their group who don't have parents, or who at least don't have good parents. They'll tend to take these people under their wing and include them as part of their people. This gives those who need reparenting a place to belong and someone to begin mentoring them in the skills they missed along the way. And I think about grandparenting and what a delight it is to be a grandparent because it's all the love without the responsibility. You parents that are out there responsible for the discipline and all those things, I don't have to do that. It's awesome. I can just love them and give them whatever they want to eat whenever they want it. And, you know, basically when they come to grandma's house, it's anything goes unless the parents just say absolutely not on something. I, I do adhere to that. But they, you know, they realize everybody needs somebody who absolutely adores them who delights in them just because of who they are. Not because of what they do. They don't have to perform. And I absolutely delight in every one of my grandchildren. Each one of them are unique and special with their own unique personalities and giftings and strengths. And I delight in them. And when I think about what it does to my heart to be around them, and then the Bible tells me that God delights in me, that's overwhelming. 
to think that right now our Father is looking down at us and He is delighting that we are gathered in His name. He is singing over us. He is speaking to us through His Word. His Spirit is in our midst and we get to experience His manifest presence because of His incredible love for us. And if I, being evil... (laughs) Long to give good gifts to my children and grandchildren. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So anything we're deficient in, he is more than willing to give us. But we need to slow down long enough to recognize some of our wrong ways of behaving. Maybe wrong ways of coping. Maybe things we learned in our family of origin that weren't healthy. And we need to ask the Lord to show us. And that's what I'm asking you to do this week with this assessment. Because ultimately, Christ came that we might be set free from the bondage of sin and live into all the fullness that we have because we're in Christ. And to live from that identity, not who our family of origin told us we were, not who others might tell us we are, how they might try to define us. We are who Christ says we are. And when we begin to live from that identity, his character is formed within us. And it literally, that fullness flows out of our lives. And if you're in that empty nest phase and you're in the elder portion by age, do not think you have nothing to offer. There are young adults and young parents who need you. They need your encouragement. They need your life experience. They need you to come alongside them, especially maybe some of those who live in this area that don't have family or parents, or maybe they don't have believing family and parents. They need us at this stage in life to come alongside them. So I want to encourage you, where are you working? We are created in Christ Jesus. What? For good works. What good works are you allowing the Spirit to accomplish in you and through you? Where are you serving Let's go back to Colossians 1, the beginning of our study, and let's look at verses 9 through 12. And this is Paul's prayer for them. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, who's he saying we? It's that group, that band of brothers, those cohorts, those co-laborers that are with him. They've been praying together for the church at Colossae to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What a beautiful prayer and what a tremendous summary of what God has called us to, that we might grow, that we might understand and have all knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, understanding, walk in a manner worthy of him, pleasing him, bearing good fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with power. We are not those who shrink back. We are those who run in because God has called us to go and make disciples. We have work to do. And we need to be spiritually mature so that we're not offended 
or distracted or discouraged by the schemes of the enemy or other people that he may use who have an infant's EQ. <laughs> we need to understand that that's what's going on and love them and help them. What do foster parents do when they get a child who was abused or experienced trauma at a very young age? When that child has a meltdown like a two-year-old and they're nine, they have to scoop that little child up and rock them and nurture them and treat them as though they were two because in that moment, they're reverting back to the age of the trauma because their emotional maturity has been stunted at that age level. There are people around us who have experienced trauma. And so they're stuck at an emotional IQ much lower than their age or where they should be in spiritual maturity. But that's where we come alongside each other. Remember, we're in a group. We are for each other. And when someone gives you that knowledge about them, that's a precious trust that they're coming to you with, that they're sharing this vulnerable place in their life. And you need to be there with them to encourage them, to love them, to pray for them, to help them find counseling if they need counseling, to work through and process trauma in their past or trauma in their present. But we need to be there for them. We don't shrink back because things get tough. We don't shrink back because it's tough to run into the inner city and to meet needs and to come alongside people and to do whatever it is God has called us to do to minister to the least of these. We run in. And when we do, we can see God work because he, he's allowing us to get in on what he's already doing and where he's already moving and working. And it's his heart that he begins to reveal to us. But we need to grow up into maturity so that we can operate in the gifts that he's given us so that we can be the parents and the elders that the body of Christ needs and that new believers need as they come into the body of Christ. So ladies, let's grow up into Christ and let the fullness of Jesus flow out of our lives. Use this assessment this week and ask the Lord to show you any areas that you need to die to, any area that you need to confess to a trusted friend or spiritual advisor and pray through and be accountable for. Because on the other side of that is incredible freedom and growth and joy. So don't let the enemy steal it from you any longer. That's what he does. He comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life abundant, overflowing, full. May we not settle for anything less.